So, Father, thank you. Thank you that you do do that. Thank you um, that Jenny is, and Michelle have come through this time, Lord. Thank you that um, your grace is amazing and the peace that passes all understanding did guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, we want to lift up everyone else here in this room and the ones that we represent. Lord, you know everything that's going on. You know the physical problems. You know the emotional things, the spiritual things, Lord God. You know the things of people who are not here. And we ask you, Father, because you are Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, we ask you to send out your healing, Lord God, by your Spirit, and to make right all the things that are slightly wrong, to bring into line all those things that are going off at tangents, Lord, and not, not being and not doing what you... Um, what you require them to do and be. So I, I, I pray, Lord, for everyone. We pray for everyone, all the people that we represent. We pray for ourselves and for our families and friends. And we ask you, Lord, to do what only you can do. And we want to say, Lord, that we trust you. Um, we trust you with our lives and with our families and friends, Lord God. And even though we don't always understand, we do trust that you will only do what is right because you are a good God and a good Father. So we praise you, Lord, and we thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, okay, in the first session um, of Hezekiah leaving a legacy, we looked at King Ahaz, and we saw the depth of his wickedness, really. That's what um, Second Chronicles 28 shows us, is the depth of the wickedness of the king. Um, and we said at the end that it, he was really the darkness before the dawn, and that the, the reign of Hezekiah, his son, is a, is a direct contrast with, um, with Ahaz, and that in that way, uh, Hezekiah's reign is, is the light of morning, or actually the light of revival, because that's what Hezekiah brings about in, his, in the nation, is this revival. Um, I said, you know, I wanted to leave a legacy when I go, either when I go to be with the Lord, when he comes back in the air to call his people, or when I die and go to be with him. And, um, and I, it, you want that to be a legacy of hope, don't you? You want to leave hope behind. Because the Bible says that those people who don't know Christ have no hope. And so the only way to have hope is to know Christ. And so that's the legacy I'm talking about, is to be able to leave something behind that will lead people to the Saviour, um, and that's what revival ultimately does, actually. That's what you see with Hezekiah, that revival um, brings about hope because um, it generates hope and, and kind of shows that what you're hoping for is actually real. We did that day a couple of weeks ago, you know, um, hope fulfilled. And there is a fulfilment of hope in this life, and that's what revival shows is that the hope that we have is not only for the future, it's also for now. And, um, and though it will be fully realised when we see Jesus face to face, we can have that partial fulfilment. Um, every day, actually, every day, we can live in hope. And um, that can change our, the way we view all the circumstances of our lives. Um, Hezekiah's name means uh, Jehovah is my strength. And um, throughout both of the accounts in Second Chronicles and in Second Kings, you can see that that is the case for Hezekiah. So names are so funny in the in the Old Testament, aren't they? I mean, Hezekiah was named as a baby, and yet he grew up to be. You know, his name means Jehovah is my strength. So all of us 
God knew all of us from before the time we were born. And he gave us a name because he knew that we would be in Christ Jesus. And he gave us a new name. And I don't know what my new name is as yet, but one day when I see him, I'll know what my new name is. And if, if my name is Jehovah is my strength, I mean, how wonderful that would be, wouldn't it? To be like Hezekiah and to know that God named me before he created the world. And he named me Jehovah is my strength. Uh, or Jehovah is my hope. Or Jehovah is my peace. Or any of those great things. So um, Hezekiah, what you see about Hezekiah in Second Chronicles and Second Kings is that he turned to God... Uh, for all that he needed. And even though he made lots of mistakes because he was just a human being and he wasn't always wise, uh, nonetheless, every time, he, in every situation, he knew that God would deliver him. He didn't know how, how it would be, but he knew he would be delivered. And so he cried out to God every time he had need. Um, Psalm 138, uh, verse 3, um, is one of my favourite verses. Um, and it says, um, on the day that I called, you answered me, you made me bold with strength in my soul. And you could say for Hezekiah, this could be one of his life verses, on the day that I called, you answered me, you made me bold with strength in my soul. And, um, and you know, Hezekiah is kind of a living example of that verse. Um, He's talked about in Isaiah, his, all of his reign took place in the days of Isaiah the prophet. If you read Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, um, you'll see the, the breadth of Isaiah's prophecy and how when he was prophesying, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. Um, sorry, hold on, pages are, my hands are dry and the pages are soft. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, which he saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So he, um, Isaiah was prophesying at the same time as Hezekiah was reigning. And actually, there is an in interaction between Hezekiah and Isaiah, which um, Isaiah records in Isaiah, uh, later on in Isaiah 36 to 39. Um, he talks about Hezekiah's reign too. And it's really interesting to me that it's in those chapters, 36 to 39, that he talks about Hezekiah, because they're the last chapters in the book of Isaiah before it turns to the promise of hope for Israel. Um, Isaiah's 66 chapters in that book, the first 39 chapters, it corresponds with the Bible, so the Old Testament is 39 books, and then the New Testament is whatever the other is, 27 books. And um, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are all about the judgment of God on Israel because they've sinned. And the next 27 chapters are all about the restoration that God's going to bring about to Israel. And that's the same as the Old Testament and the New Testament. The first 39 books are about God's people not doing what God wanted them to do. And then the New Testament is God restoring, giving restoration and uh, life um, to people um, who call on him individually. It's just amazing to me how the Bible is like that. And, and in Isaiah's prophecy, the way it's written down, the last uh, 36, 37, 38 and 39, the last four chapters detail Hezekiah. And he's the king who will ultimately bring about or lay down the um, parameters for subsequent revivals that come in Israel. So it's almost like 
God, through Hezekiah and recorded in Isaiah, records the way to do and to bring about um, revival. So that later on, through the, the history of Judah, subsequent kings will know what to do. And um, if you look at, um, just before 36, Isaiah 35, I think this is what stirred um, Hezekiah. I think he would have heard this chapter. He would, 35, he would have heard, um, he would have heard Isaiah prophesy this. Hezekiah was the king. So he, he would have heard this prophecy and he would have known that this is what God was speaking through Isaiah. That's the thing, you know, you don't think of that, do you? Hezekiah lived at the same time as Isaiah. Isaiah is talking the word of God into the nation and he's speaking it to the king and to the people. And so you kind of, you can't imagine it, can you imagine? We're the people of Judah. And, and Isaiah walks in and says, you know, thus says the Lord and starts to speak. And what he speaks is what um, Isaiah, uh, Hezekiah is listening to. I mean, I just find that all so amazing, you know, that what we have written down, which we don't always connect, is all interwoven. So Isaiah 35, the wilderness and the desert will be glad and the Arabah will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of God, sorry, the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious, anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. The scorched land will become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, its resting place, grass becomes reeds and rushes. A highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way, and fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go up on it. These will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return, and come with joyful shouting to Zion. With everlasting joy upon their heads, they will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Um, this is what Hezekiah would have been hearing. He would have been hearing this from Isaiah, this promise of a restoration. And I think, can you imagine being in the presence of a prophet like that who was speaking this restoration into you or to you and into the nation, having just had a father who was so wicked, who was burning his own sons in the fire, who was tearing down the, the, um, the altar of God and closing the temple door, and then you're Hezekiah and you're listening to Isaiah the prophet, and you've been listening to him. I mean, he, he, Hezekiah co-reigned with his father for about 15 years, so um, he would have been hearing the prophecy of Isaiah and seeing his own father not taking any notice of it and not doing anything about it. And now, when he takes the throne, he's in a position to do something about it. And it's on the basis of this, I think, that Hezekiah does what he does. It's on the basis of God's promise that this is what he will do, 
that Hezekiah says, right, I'm standing with God, I'm going on with God. I, he's promised this. He's promised a highway of holiness. He's promised that the redeemed will walk on it. He's promised that there'll be no vicious beast on it. He's promised that there will be joyful shouting. I'm going on with God. I'm doing what I know to do because I trust the promise of God. And that not that what we do? Isn't that what we do? That's what we do. We trust the promises of God and we say, I don't, you know, all around me looks dark, but I trust God's promise and I'm walking on with him. And I, I think that that's what stirred Hezekiah to bring about um, a revival in his own time. Because this, Isaiah, Isaiah 35, is speaking of a time in the future, even in the future for us, when the redeemed will come from Zion and there'll be a highway of holiness. And, um, and uh, when Jesus returns, and lives on this planet. Um, and, and so Hezekiah heard this, we hear this, and we're asked, we're called by God to live on the basis of these prophecies and on the basis of this. Um, the word revival, do you know what it means? Do you know where it comes from? <laughs> yeah, it means to live again, actually. It comes from a Latin word. Uh, it was first used in the 19th century in, in America, you know, in the great revivals in, the nor in um, North America. And um, it means to live again, and, and typically in Latin it used to mean to, revive, to, to do an old play in, the, in a new, so in the theatre, to, to bring a new, an old play into, the, into your time and, and do it there, into modern day. So be like, a bit like Romeo and Juliet, you know, with, um, what's his name, the um, actor and... Yeah, DiCaprio, you know, who, d who did Romeo and Juliet in our time. So, um, and that's what Hezekiah does. He brought back an old thing, an old life. He brought it into his own people. And, um, and because he did, he made it possible for his great-grandson, Josiah, to do the same thing. Everybody knows about Josiah, right? Josiah was the king who... And in his day, he decided when he was eight years old that he would follow the Lord. And when he was 12, he became king. And, when, and then he immediately started restoring the land and the temple. And in his day, they found the book of the law in the temple. It had been lost. And, um, um, and he instituted this revival. But it was only possible because Hezekiah, his great-grandfather, had done what he'd done. So he kind of left the framework so now think about, that's all a long introduction, isn't it? You're probably wondering where we're going, but think about, we want to leave a legacy, so we have to have a framework. We have to have our own framework that's sure and, and firm and based on the word of God so that when we are gone, whenever we go, when we are gone, people can look back at that and say, well, that's how they did it then. That's what they did. That's how, that's how they lived. That's how she lived. That's how they lived. That's what they did. You know, in this ministry, in this church, wherever, that's what they did to worship God. And God was pleased with that. So that later on, whenever it is, you know, if Christ doesn't come back in my lifetime, if it takes another hundred years, which I don't think it will, but if it does, they will know how to live in that hundred years, to be ready for Christ. Live again, to live again. So, um, hmm? yes, it's a pattern. It's a pattern. Exactly. 
and um, yeah, like a knitting or a sewing pattern. And it's just leaving behind the way that God has laid down for us to worship him and a way that is applicable, you know, is, is applicable and can be followed in, um, in, in the generations to come. Um, you see it all the way through the, the, um, the Old Testament. You see this kind of, this pattern being built up and people being shown. And um, when Hezekiah brings them back to the revival that he brings them back to, um, <coughs> he brings them back to old ways of God that God had told his people before. So when we bring, when people come back after us, they come back to the ways that we showed them. Um, why would that be? Why would it always be like an old way redone to fit a new time? Why wouldn't it be a new way? Why? Yeah, because it's God's way and God is an unchanging God. He is an unchanging God. And the way that he must be approached is unchanging. And we can't, there are no new ways to do church. There are no new ways to do church. You know, I mean, I don't, the people who say that don't mean anything bad by it, and they're just trying to find a way that's relevant in their own culture, and that's good, of course, we have to do that. But actually, the only way to do church is to come to God in the way he says, to come to him humbly. What does the Lord require of you? Micah, what is it, Micah 8, verse... Love, mercy, do justice, and walk humbly with your God. That is a universal message from the time, from Adam and Eve's time. What did God require of Adam and Eve? To walk humbly with your God. Know who he is and know who you are in relation to him. And that's really what Hezekiah brought back. He brought back this understanding that God is God and I am not. And so I owe him my worship. I owe him everything that I have. And when you think about it, when Hezekiah brought that back, Josiah, his great-grandson, could look at that and do what he did. And even in Acts chapter 2, that's what they did. When the, but those Jewish believers, when those first Jews believed in Messiah, when Peter stood up and preached his sermon and 3,000 of them you know, came to Christ that day, they then, that was a revival. That was still revival. All that happened was Messiah, well, all. What had happened was where the Old Testament saints looked forward to the promise of God being fulfilled, when they looked forward to Messiah coming and God's promise of a Messiah that they trusted in and walked humbly with him because they knew they needed that Messiah and were waiting for him. So all the Old Testament saints looked to that point. And now after Jesus, even though they had crucified Messiah, they knew that if they came back to God and cried out to him, on the day that I call you, answered me, the Old Testament and the New Testament is full of that statement, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You cry out to God, he will save. So in the Old Testament, they looked forward to the Messiah, and in the New Testament, they looked back at the Messiah, even the Messiah they'd crucified. That is an amazing thing. Imagine, you're one of those Jews in Jerusalem. Jesus has just been crucified, literally, days before. And then he's resurrected. And then they have those 40 days where the, the, early, the first disciples spend that, that time with Jesus. And then he says he's going and he's going to come back for them and wait for power to come. So it's a month and a half. That's all it is. Where are we now? We're in the middle of October. It's the beginning of September. 
that, that wasn't long ago, six weeks ago. Six, seven weeks ago. And they, in that six or seven weeks, the Holy Spirit comes and revives them, brings life to them, and they start this new, new way, this new covenant, but a covenant that was promised to Jer- through Jeremiah, that was promised way back, because it's an unchanging God, and his ways are always the same. Will you just come to me in humility? Will you just recognise me as God and trust me with all that you have and all that you are? It's, I just, I, you know, I just want to cry, really. I just, you just want to cry. All of our situations, everything that's going on in our lives, it's the same thing. It's God saying, will you just come back to me, walk humbly with me? Will you trust that I am God and you are not? And that I have only good things for you. Will you worship me in the way that I want you to worship me? (laughs) This um, promise of God in Jeremiah, which we live in now, we live in the new covenant. We are part of that new covenant where God said he would... um, he would write his law on, the, on our hearts and give us a new heart and, and that we would be part of this new covenant. What is the ultimate thing about God that the Bible talks about? What is it about God that... There's, a, there's only one word that's repeated about God in the Old Testament three times. There's just one word, a character... He is holy, holy, holy. It's the only word about God that's repeated three times. So if we are to be his people, what will be the call of God on our lives? Holiness. Why? Because he is a holy, holy, holy God. The Bible doesn't say God is love, 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 or God is grace, 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 or God is just, just, just. The Bible says God is holy, holy, holy. And if we are his people, we must be holy. And that is the call of God. That was the call of God on Hezekiah's life. Yeah. Last night, um, when Jesus talks about his high priest, high priestly prayer, mm. and he says there that God is holy. Mm. Um, that surely was applying to Jesus. Of course, yeah, Jesus yeah. is God, yeah. yeah. So it's holy, 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 yeah. Yeah. Is that why it's three times? Because it's God the Father, God the Son? No, I don't. Well, I don't know. I never thought of it, actually, Juliet, but I don't think so. I think it's just triple emphasis. You know, I think Jesus, when he was um, walking with his disciples, he would often say, truly, truly, I say to you. Yeah. It's the double emphasis, which in Hebrew means this is really important. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think holy, holy, holy is just this is who God is. Because what does holy mean? Well, if it's applied to God, what does it mean? Holy. It means totally other. Like, totally other. So... You and I can only be holy. Why? How could we possibly be holy? Because God is holy and he lives within us. And because God makes us holy. Leviticus, he calls, um, Leviticus, I forget which chapter, 19 maybe, uh, be holy as I am holy. And then in in chapter 20 he says, I am the God who makes you holy. So anything that God touches becomes holy. 
anything that, because he is a holy, holy, holy God. So the reason I'm saying that is, if God is calling us to revival, if there's going to be revival, if there's going to be this life again, um, you remember in, we said last time in uh, Revelation chapter 3 where, where Christ is standing outside the door of the Laodicean church and he's saying, if anyone, you know, behold I stand at the dock and, a door and knock, if anyone opens I will come in and dine with him. He's offering revival. But in order to open that door and invite him in, there ha there's been a call to sanctification, to holiness. And only a holy church will get revival. So the revival won't come before the holiness comes. The desire, at least, for holiness. The desire to live the way God wants us to live. And that's what you see with Hezekiah. That's what you see with him. Revival came. These chapters that we're reading, they're great. The way everybody you know, the way Hezekiah sets this up and gets it going and how people come. But it only comes when people decide they will worship God the way he chooses to be worshipped and that they will align themselves with him and cut off their uh, alignment with um, other gods. Um, mm. I've read that some churches are actually, you know, they're praying for the Bible. Yeah. Do you think they are aligning themselves? I don't know because I don't know every church, so hopefully they are, hopefully they are. And when I say that you can't have revival without holiness, you've got to be holy first. Well, you can't be holy without God, so I, um, what I'm assuming is that the people who want revival are believers, so they already have the Spirit of God. And what I'm saying is without a, a consecration of yourself to be holy, why would God bring about revival? What does it mean? Yeah. Why do you want revival if you don't want holiness? Because God is a holy, holy, holy God. If you don't want to live holy, then that's, that's just not going to happen because you're asking for opposites and opposites don't work. So um, the revival that God brings is always a revival to holiness, always. And if you don't leave a legacy of holiness, you don't leave a legacy of hope. Because hope is connected with holiness. Why do you have hope? Why do you have hope as a believer? Yes, but why, how do you know what will come? Yeah, and who is Jesus? He is a holy, holy, holy God. You have hope because God is holy, because he is totally other. And because he is, un all of the other things under that, he is holy, 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 is other. So he is also unchanging and he is also all-powerful and he is also just and merciful and gracious but it stems from the fact that God is not like us if God is like us he can change he can stop at any moment he can say no oh, I can't be doing with them I'm going on yeah but he is not like us that's the thing he is totally other than us that's why we have hope because it's the one who's promised is not like me. You know, we make so much of us being made in the image of God and being like God. That's what Satan's temptation of Eve was. You can be like God. And all of us, we want to. And so all of us, I mean, we hear it in the church. You're, you're all children of God because you're all made in God's image. That's a lie. We're not all children of God. You're only a child of God when you believe in the Lord Jesus and receive his spirit. That's when you are a child of God.
<coughs> but the only reason we have hope is because God is holy. And so, what needs to happen for your hope to expand and increase? Yeah, and? Yes, no, that's true, Rosemary. It's not as, yeah. That's true. Get to know God better and? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because you, you know, when you say he's totally other, that excludes him from being man, born as man. And he was born as man. So yeah. in that he wasn't totally other, but but overcame. He was totally other because he didn't sin. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. But it, it, I'm thinking when you say the word totally other that. That's something that he doesn't have the temptations that mm. we have. He's mm. got oh, I see. Okay, yeah. Don't have yeah. Absolutely not having any of man's traits. Yeah. And then I thought, well, as a man, mm. all of that would have mm. come at him, mm. but he didn't have man's traits, so he didn't respond to it like a man. He did have man's traits, and he overcame. You were right in your first sentence. So yeah, he did overcome. So he had to be tempted in all ways as we are. Yeah. So he had to walk in flesh. Yeah. He had to know that <coughs> the pull of temptation. But he didn't sin, no. and in that way he was totally other. He was totally other. And then he was raised from the dead because he was totally yeah. other. And because that happened, the Holy Spirit came, mm. totally other, mm. and dwells in us. Mm. Is there some link to it? Uh, maybe. I'm, I'm not on your wavelength, so maybe. No, maybe. No, well, we can only be totally other because God is in us. Yes. So, it, so that's what I'm saying. Everything hinges on, is God within you? Is the Holy Spirit within you? You can't, you can't withstand sin for any length of time if God's not in you. No. But you can if he is, because he's totally not you. He's different to you. And I'm not making and that's too... The hope that we have. Yes. I'm not making too little of us, because he became man to save us. Mm. He had to do that. So I'm, I'm not saying that's not true. And of course he did. He became man so that he could not sin, so that he could pay our price. I mean, that's the gospel. But if we have this always, if we're always thinking, uh, uh, someone said to me the other day, well, we can do all the miracles that Jesus did. Because Jesus said, greater than these you'll do. And I said to him, so you think that you can do what Jesus did? You, individually, can do what Jesus did? You really think that's possible? See the deception in that. <laughs> but, see, but see the deception in it. What they're saying is, I can be like God, even though God in the flesh. I can be like God. I can do what God does. Because Jesus is God, and the person who said this knows that Jesus is God. He's 100% God and 100% human. He is God. And so the teaching has come, well, Jesus said we can do greater works than him. And, but when you come right back to it, it's like, okay, that, if I believe that, what I'm saying is I can do more, better, bigger than Jesus. It just, it's like completely, yes. So, so we have to go back to where Jesus says you can do, you're going to do greater works than these. And we have to try to understand, okay, what did he actually mean there? Because if I break it right down to what I think he might have meant, it can't possibly be right because how could I ever do what the Son of God did? So, but, but what I'm saying is, uh, I don't quite know how I got to that place, sorry, but what I am saying is that without holiness there's no hope. There's no hope. Because without only God, 
gives us hope. And only God can bring holiness. And so without holiness, there's no hope. Hope is the outcome of holiness. And holiness is the outcome of hope. The two things are so interwoven. You have hope because God has given you hope. And you believe. And, and the, but the hope is magnified and intensified when you grow in holiness. We have more access to more people in the world. I think collectively, yeah, that's why. I think he's talking collectively, plural, yes. I mean, I'm sure there's much more in there than that even, but I think just off the, off the top, I would say that he's talking collectively. Um, but to the holiness thing, without hope, if you, if you want more hope, you must, be, you must have more holiness. And the only way you have more holiness is when you give more of yourself over to God who is holy. And so, you know, you're, you're surrendering your will. And when I say give yourself over, I'm talking about your will. God, you know, loves you. He made you. <laughs> he gave you your personality. He's not going to completely change your personality. I don't believe that for one moment. But he is building your character. And he's building your character to be like Christ. So I think when we get to heaven, we're going to have all of our individual personalities. We're going to have, you know very kind of funny people and very serious people and we're going to have very um don't i don't know yeah no. the same. yeah i don't think god is not god is a, just a magnificently beautiful diverse god i mean how could we ever put him in a box and so we as as human beings in that way we do um represent him we are diverse and and all of that but our character our character is being formed into the character of Christ. And that's what he's working on. And all of us will come at that and that will look differently, different in all of us because we have different personalities. Yeah. But the essential core will be holiness, a growth in holiness. Yeah. What does the Bible say about Jesus? He learned obedience. He learned, he learned obedience. As a human being, he learned it by the things that he suffered. It was hard for him to be holy. It was hard, just as it is for us. It's hard to do the things we know to do because it's, we've got flesh and we don't want to. But if we want to have hope, if we want to grow our hope, we have to grow our holiness. And, um, and that's what Hezekiah did. Um, and he set about bringing the nation back to holiness, back to God. The two things are synonymous. Um, so let's read 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1 to 11. So 2 Chronicles 29, 1 to 11. Somebody just read through those. 2 um, Chronicles 29, 1 to 11. Consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, 
and carry the uncleanness out from the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done evil in the sight of the Lord our God, and have forsaken him and turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord, and have turned their backs, and have also shut the doors of the porch, and put out the lamps, and have not burnt incense or offered offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is against Judah and Jerusalem, and he has made them an object of terror, of horror, and of hissing, as you see with your own eyes. For behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel, and that his burning anger will turn him away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now. And the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to minister to him, and to be his ministers and be Thank you. Okay, we're talking about... Uh, I'm using Hezekiah's life to say, talk about leaving a legacy. And that's what Hezekiah is talking about here. He's talking to the Levites and he's saying, God has chosen you to do this. And what I'm saying is, God has chosen us to do this. We, we hear a lot about revival in the church. We hear about a lot about, you know... Um, yeah, we do. Yeah, bring another Pentecost. We're, you know, talking about the Spirit. Come, come, Holy Spirit, come. None of it bad, all of it good. But, but what we have in scripture is the blueprint. How, how does this happen? How does it happen? What, what, what will God answer? What prayer will he answer? Is he just going to answer the cry for come Holy Spirit? You know, in a motley group of people who leave on, a, leave on Sunday afternoon and go and live their own lives and don't think about God. Is that the way that it's laid down in scripture? So that's what we're doing. Okay, I want to leave a legacy. You want to leave a legacy. You want to leave a, something behind so that your children and your grandchildren or your friends or whatever will know, oh, that's what they did. That's what they did. And that's how God responded. Um, and so Hezekiah, um, his, the first 11 verses set up what he's going to do. How is he described, Hezekiah, in the first couple of verses? Yeah. As David has done, he's, he's automatically, right from the beginning, aligned with David, as David had done. So he's identified with the king of Israel. He is identified with, a, who, who was called, David was called a man after God's own heart. And now for us, okay, I mean, that connection to David is really important because yeah. that connection to uh, the king of Israel is something that all the kings aspired to. They all wanted to be connected with David because he was, as, as far as the Bible is concerned, the first king of Israel. And to him was given the promise there will always be a king on the throne of Israel, of your descendants. So all the kings wanted to be <coughs> affiliated with David. Um, not all of them managed it, of course. But if they wanted to be affiliated with him, why did they do such a Yes, because they didn't want it enough. They, they wanted all the blessing of it, but they didn't want the holiness of it. And so now, that brings me very nicely into, for us, who is our king? Jesus is our king, and we want to be affiliated with him. We want to be, hear people say, you know, I mean, what's the New Testament say? When you see God face to face, or when you see the Lord Jesus, don't you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? You, you want to be aligned with Christ. You want to be talked of as a little Christ. 
That's what the word Christian means, little Christ. And so um, you read in Acts, don't you, in um, I think it's Acts 13, the believers were first called Christians at Antioch. Why were they called Christians? Because they behaved like Christ. Hezekiah is aligned with David because he behaved like David. Doesn't mean he got everything right. David was a mess in many areas. But he always trusted God and turned back to God. So Hezekiah is um, uh, aligned here straight away with uh, David and we are to be aligned with Christ Jesus. Um, this life is busy. What does Hezekiah, what's the first thing you read that he does? Yes, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them into the square on the east. Can you imagine? You've just become king. How many things do you think there are to do in the kingdom? I mean, masses of stuff. They've still got enemies at the, you know, outside the, their borders. They've got all the internal problems of a people trying to rule a people. But, but Hezekiah shows what his passion is and it's written about in the first couple of lines. So he's aligned himself with David whose passion was for, for the Lord. And what about us in our busy lives? This is what we're being shown. This is honestly, this, these chapters are about revival. They're about how Hezekiah brought back the worship of God, how he rebuilt the temple, how he brought the people back to serve and, and love God. And, and that's what we say we want. Yeah. We want Christ to be known in our nation. We want to, to, to proclaim him and show him to be who he is. Well, how are we going to do it? And the first thing you read is, Hezekiah was aligned with David. He did what David did. He was aligned with the king of Israel. We must be aligned, seen to be uh, part of Christ, you know, following Christ. And secondly, we must make it our passion and our first priority to work within the kingdom to keep the temple doors open to rebuild the temple. Mm. Yeah, exactly. 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 Yes. Yeah. It is. Absolutely. It's a massive statement. And then imagine the impact of that on the people. That's the thing. Imagine what the people are going to think. We're not going to get to the people until the second half of the chapter, but imagine they see the new king with all the pomp and ceremony and his crown, being crowned and taking up the royal throne and there's probably parties and all sorts of things go on and this celebration and the very first thing he does... Exactly. Work on the temple. Well, I think we can only... We can't look at Prince Charles because he's not a Christian. But imagine if he was, yeah. yeah. You can just picture mm. it, can't you? How Definitely, you know, yeah. But actually, Kim, at the good. moment, I'm more, more concerned that within the church, within the hierarchy that we have in the church, we're not seeing this. No. We're not seeing this turning back the holiness, this, <coughs> this absolute passion to build, rebuild what God has given to us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, individually and collectively. And we, if we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, then the temple must be holy. It must be holy. And, and that's what he goes about doing. He's not building another temple. 
He's not saying, do you know, that one's done, I'm finished with that. Okay, clear off, we'll build another temple. He's rebuilding what was once there, repairing. I've just seen all the pictures of what has a kind of day and you call the priest together to be consecrated. Mm -hmm. The Arab King is doing the same to mm -hmm. us. Call us. Definitely. Look at that, the next title of the next oh, this be a call to arms. arms. We are being called. Honestly, I believe that you now, you and me, we are being called through Hezekiah. And through whatever we're going to talk about there, we are being called to do this. And actually, we can't be saying, what, us? I mean, look at us. How many of us are here? I don't know how many. I'm not even going to say because it's on the tape and I want people to think there's masses of people here. <laughs> but think how small a group this is. And then think, what's in your heart when I say God is calling you, he's calling you to institute revival? What is your immediate reaction? I can see it on your face. Your immediate reaction is not me. Not me. You must be calling the wrong person. You must have mistaken me for somebody else. Look at me. I want to go into the church and say, we're doing this wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Don't worry, dear. Take a few tablets. Go ahead. Mm. Mm. Yes. Mm. Now, do we get confused sometimes? Yes. Yeah. Revival means evangelism. Yes, we do. And that's where I think, you know, because yeah. evangelism, you're talking to people never were alive no. in the first place. No, exactly. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Very. We've just had a serious about going yeah. out and uh, discipleship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. What we're called to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but actually, the church is not going to be in doing that. Until no. it's exactly. Yes. Exactly. But, you know, I mean, in Desiring Truth, we, the people who come regularly to Desiring Truth things are already wanting holiness. I mean, you may not have thought of it that way. You may have thought, you know, it's just nice coffee and biscuits, but, but or not, as the case may be. But... But really, if you want to be in the Word of God and you, and you love God's Word, and I, I think most people are, who come, at least come regularly, that's the truth. They love God's Word because God stirs that up in us, this love for His Word. Then that's also a love for holiness. So when I'm saying, we, you know, you've got to be holy, I'm talking to people I'm assuming want to be holy. But this is going out, isn't it, on the airwaves, on the, in the ether, and hopefully people are listening to this in different parts of the world who perhaps haven't had that kind of thought and haven't realised that God is a holy, holy, holy God and he causes people to be holy, 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 and that he is calling us. I believe that he's calling us now. And I think that this legacy idea is what he's calling us for. And if that's true, if he's calling us to leave a legacy, then that's also part and parcel of the fact that the time is short. So I, mostly with Christians, you don't have to tell them to go and evangelise. Everybody, all Christians know they're supposed to tell people about Jesus. Whether they do it or not is another matter. But they all know they're supposed to. But in the church, in the West... Not all Christians know that they're supposed to be holy, 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 that they have to live in holiness, that they have to sanctify themselves and consecrate themselves. Not all Christians know that. 
because that's not the prevailing teaching within the Western Church. Yeah. Oh, praise God for that. Praise God for that. Thank you. Praise God for it. Yeah. Yes. It's the same thing. It's, it's, it's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. But that knowing God is, is knowing God. When you read knowing God in, in scripture, it always means by experience, in relationship. It doesn't mean knowing about, it means knowing in intimate relationship. You can't be in intimate relationship with God and not be holy. Yeah. Or at least be doing whatever you can do to be holy. I'm not saying we all make it all the time or that we're all perfect. Of course we're not. But there's this desire in us for holiness. There's a desire in us, and if you don't want to use the word holy, there's a desire in us to be like Christ, to be like Jesus, and to love him better and serve him better. And, and, and that's what you see in Hezekiah. Even though his father was so wicked. Go ahead, um, Maureen, what were you going to say? Mm. Well, um, I think, you know, to acknowledge <coughs> that within the church there are so many who don't yet know the Lord. Yes. And therefore, um, to try and witness to them. Mm. And it's not sort of a condemnation, um, because it's the way the church presents itself. Definitely. That, do this, do that, mm. Christ confirmed, you're mm. there. Mm. Um, and so to encourage them to think, mm. you know, of mm. surrendering to, to the Lord. Yeah. Because they won't have heard that before. No. Um, no. And you know, that's the starting place, really, because we're wanting a holy church. Yes. People have to know what the message yeah. is. Yes, so definitely. And they won't speak about it because they don't know what to speak about anyway. No, you know? no, <laughs> they, haven't they haven't. No, but I think there's probably probably three there's probably three layers then, Maureen. Actually, there's the people who go to the building on a Sunday yeah. and who who don't know Jesus, yeah. and then there's the people who go to the building on a Sunday or sometimes midweek. They are believers, they do have the spirit, but they've never heard about holiness and they've never heard about this life in Christ. They've never heard about joy and wonder. Yes, I believe so. I believe so. I believe that they've trusted Jesus to get to take them to God, that they've recognized their sin. But no one's ever told them this is possible. This is possible. You know, life as a Christian is not just one hard daily grind it is joy and it is peace and there is life you know so there's that layer and then there's the layer of people that hopefully we want to belong to or do belong to and that is those people who who those believers who know christ and who just want to know him more they know holiness is a prerequisite they know that that's what god wants them you know so i think there are three kind of levels because i do believe that there is a lot of people in church who are believers, but they don't understand the life that they're called to live. And um, so we have a huge ministry within the building. Yeah, you know, we have a ministry to those who come and who don't actually know Jesus at all. They're not, they're not born again. They're not saved. We have a ministry to people who, who just, you know, they know they need Jesus, but they don't know the life that he's offering them, the, the abundant life that he's offering. And so they live on a kind of really, uh, actually, a, a desperate place, actually. Yeah. A desperate place, because they recognise their sin. That's why it's exceptional, isn't it? 
It is deception. So that's what I'm saying. So we have a huge ministry within the church. We have a huge ministry within, within the building, within the church. And that's not counted all the stuff that we are called to do as we go out in the world. Um, but if we don't repair the temple, who's going to come in? Yeah, that, that, because that is repairing the temple. Yeah, it? it is. Yeah. You know, those people you mentioned in group two, they wouldn't know God has a plan. No, exactly. No, they wouldn't know. They wouldn't know. Exactly. Exactly. No, and what and what they would say is, if they sat here, what they would say is, no, 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 not me. I mean, I, I no. I mean, I'm nobody. You know, I'm just nobody. Why would God use me? And 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 no one's ever said to them, but that's that's everybody in the Old Testament. That's everyone in the New Testament. That's Moses and and Gideon and and all of them. All of them said, not me. You must have it wrong. And. I think it is, and I think it's actually the teaching that um, that we're all in we're all there we're all in that same boat and actually the humility it took for you to see you're a sinner and you needed Christ can sometimes be a, a, a thing that holds you actually too long in the chains of thinking God can't use me that he doesn't have a purpose for me that he um, and and it's not really seen as false hum humility although it is they don't mean it in a false way that's what I mean and and so they don't believe but yes you're right they get a glimpse of it and they hear his voice just for a moment and they think god god are you calling me wow that's just so excited exciting but they go home and their life is what it is and and the old thing comes back no not you don't be silly that can't possibly have been for you that was for the person next to you and that's you know that's how it goes on and and without teaching if that's not reinforced on a regular basis that glimpse that you had just recedes, you know. <laughs> yeah, except the ones we're talking about are not on their way to hell. They're, they are going to heaven, but they're going to get there and look back and think, wow, it could have been so amazing. And, and you know, and just to trust that God really has purpose and a plan and, and he really will use us and he really has got something specific for each one of us to do. Um, I think uh, I think that the body of Christ is a glorious thing and I think God sees the glory of the body of Christ because we're in Christ Jesus and he is glorious I think that there's a sadness isn't there a sadness for us with our friends or our family or our children or grandchildren when when they don't get something and, and when we know they're sort of playing in the mud but there's this wonderful beach and sea just next to it and it's like, will you just turn your eyes that way and, and go there? So I think it's not a despair, I think it's a sadness like we would feel, only intensified perhaps, but you know, that there's so much more, there's so much more.
yeah. And um, so that's what Hezekiah's doing. He's opening the doors of the temple, and he's starting at the top, actually. He's starting with the Levites and the priests. And for us, I think, that's just a reminder um, that we're all priests of God, that, that it starts with us. I mean, here they have a hierarchy. They have the Levites and the priests, and then... The Levites are the people who had um, duties to do in the temple, and it was specifically set up under David that they would do certain things. Um, and so, Hezek and what's great about Hezekiah is he's the king, and I think this happens with a. We're going to break in just a minute. Is is that what happens with people who are, um, let's say, they're the minister of a church or they're in some sort of leadership position or whatever. There's this tendency to think you can do it all, that God's actually calling you to do it all, that, that you have to do it all. Um, but Hezekiah doesn't do that, actually. What he does is he looks at that and he looks at what God's called and he says, actually, I'm not fitted to do what the Levites and the priests have to do. And so he gets them to do what they're supposed to do. And he's just the one who's done what he's supposed to do and will continue to do that. Now, isn't that a really important picture, actually, for us? Because we're always expecting those people at the top to do all of it. That's the general kind of idea that they'll do it. And actually, not all of us, because I know, you know... Um, no, I was just going to say, I just had talking with a group of five women, and um, this one woman was saying, I just don't feel supported by the church. Oh, right. They're not interested in, they wouldn't know what's going on for me. And I, I have, I've learned how to not speak quickly, mm. and so I just was waiting, and her sister piped up and said, this is the church, yeah. and we're here, yeah. we're, we're listening, we're supporting, yeah. we want to invest in you, and yeah. support. And so I think there's huge amounts of professional leadership. Definitely. For the church yeah. to know everyone. Exactly. To, to uh, know everybody. Or even like, say, for you, to know, <coughs> yeah. knowing of everyone. Yeah. Step, but we're all here. We mm. are the church. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, that's why fellowship is yeah. really important. Yeah. That's why, you know, prayer, all of that is really important. And what's so wonderful about Hezekiah is he took his hands off the things he wasn't allowed yeah. to touch. Mm. And I think that's really important for all of us, actually. We're all priests of God. First Peter chapter 2 tells us we are a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Um, verse 9, I think it is. Um, so we are all priests of God. In, in a way, we can all do everything because God through us can do whatever he wants to do. But Hezekiah knew that, that he had to hand over things to the people who were particularly equipped to do that. And I really think that is a picture of the body of Christ. That's a picture of the body of Christ working together. Each one of us will be used by God in a different way to build the temple and repair the doors. Um, okay. So, Father, thank you that we are able to fellowship one with the other. Thank you that we can um, talk and, and be real with one another. Thank you for fellowship. Thank you that we are in fellowship with you and um, with the Lord Jesus. And thank you that by your spirit we are connected one to another and that we can really truly uh, fellowship together, encouraging one another and building each other up, Lord God, and, um, and helping one another to live this life of consecration to you. So we thank you, Lord, for what we're seeing in Hezekiah's life, and, um, and we, we thank you in advance for what we're going to see in this next part. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we've got the fact that nobody does everything on their own, um, even Hezekiah, who's the king. He's passionate about restoring the temple, but he wants to do it in the way that God has already ordained and, and God had already set up the Levites who would do these various tasks. And, um, and so Hezekiah does what God has said. That is a repeated thing throughout scripture. The, if you know the will of God in a particular area, you must do the will of God in that area. And that goes for individually in our lives or collectively as a church. If we already know a thing, a, a, a part of the will of God, we have to do it. Um, there's great stories in the Old Testament and in the New, actually, of people who want to come to God on their own terms, um, even when they're coming, asking him for something. Naaman, in um, 2 Kings chapter 5, he's um, uh, the captain of the army of a, of a, a king, and not a king of Israel, and he, he has leprosy. And he's told about a, a man in Israel who can cure him. And uh, so he goes, it's a long story, and I'm going to keep it into sort of three sentences. He goes, and it's Elisha that he goes to see. And um, first of all, he arrives at Elisha's place where he's living, and Elisha doesn't even come out of the door, but sends a servant to him and says, go and wash in the Jordan seven times. And Naaman is this big black king, uh, warrior. He's not a king, but he's, a, he's the captain, a general of an army. And he's, he, it's, in scripture, it calls him, a, he's a mighty man. He was a, a great man. And, um, and so, of course, he doesn't like it. He doesn't like the fact that Elisha, the prophet, doesn't even come out to him. And when he's told to dip in the Jordan River, what he says is, yeah, but we've got, haven't we got rivers in our country that are perfectly good enough? Why did I have to come and dip in the Jordan River? This is, this is it's so simple. The whole account is so simple. But is there so much in there? How many people we don't want to come to God the way he tells us to come? You know, we could start from the beginning. We have to come through Jesus. We know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through him. But people don't want to come through him. They don't want to come in a prescribed way. But it's the same when we're Christians, even when we're believers. We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And we refuse sometimes to do things the way God has laid out. Well, God has laid out consecration. He's laid out sanctification. He's told us this is what you're on the planet for right now. You are here for that. Mm. I just, what I thought of when you were saying that was David when he bought the ark. Oh, yes. <laughs> and Uzziah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Definitely, exactly. No. Yeah. People must carry it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. It's a great example. Yeah. Second Kings chapter five. It's the whole chapter talks about this um, situation. Um, so he, you know, in the end, he does do what he's told to do, and he's healed. He's healed completely of his leprosy, and he and he praises God, and you know, it's a wonderful uh, account. But he didn't want to do it, and that I think is so much like so many believers. They just don't want to do what they know to do. They don't want to spend time reading. They don't want to spend time praying. They don't want to spend time in fellowship because they're too busy with so many other things and because they have not prioritized their lives. And that is, that is the biggest deception in our day. It's like, you look at people's calendars, what do you find? In people's calendars, you find a million things that they're doing instead of doing what God has told them to do. 
they're believers, they love God. It's not that they that they're you know that they don't want to follow God, they do, but for some reason to do those things, the basic building blocks of the Christian life, they just don't do it. They just don't do it. Because and I think that comes from unbelief. It comes from that kind of um, I mean, unbelief in terms of uh, I don't really have to surrender my will. I, I can really, you know, God wants me to be, to live a, a joyful, happy life, you know, and this is what makes me joyful and happy. And I'm, or, or that I'm serving people. I'm serving people. I'm dashing around from one thing to another thing, and I'm just so busy serving that I don't have time to read and to pray. And to come into real fellowship. I don't mean to look at you, Sue. You looked at me and clutched your coffee. <coughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, about a year ago, John, um, God said to me, put your house in order. I want you to put your house in order. And I knew he actually meant physically as well, mm. because my house is still, you know, it's, it's needs and not the mm. Definitely. And I know that mm. while my house is like this, every time I go in there, I'm sort of, oh, yeah. I'm yeah. 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 Absolute yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but it sounds like a fellowship task to me. Yeah. It sounds like a fellowship task, so that's what I said. It sounds like something that, you know, encouragement and edifying and building up the body of Christ is not necessarily all done in words. It's done in practice. So it, why couldn't we have a team of people who would come to your house and just oh, go I through your house with you? I'm on holiday this week. I found a problem. I would say, oh, I don't think that is really a serious problem. <laughs> 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 so many others. <laughs> So I think the thing is, yes, now you're both on record, you know, you're going to be out on the ether, <laughs> and I'm not going to say your last names, because <laughs> then, um, the thing is, So, uh, what I would say though is, th thank you for that example because it's a really good example, is that our calendars are too full and they're too full doing good things and we're not doing the best things. We're just not doing the best things. And the best things are spending time with the Lord, reading hearing him speak to us through his word, praying back to him, and fellowshipping one with another, building each other up, 
strengthening ourselves. Now, I'm not saying you can do that all day, every day. Of course, we can't. We've got to live. But um, you can't live the Christian life without the basic building blocks of um, faith. You just can't do it. And those are the things God's given us. And if we're not doing them, we are starving ourselves. That's the bottom line. And actually what you see Hezekiah do is everything he knows to do, he does. And the work gets done really fast. And it, so it's not like he's, everything's slow because he does the right thing. Everything's fast because he does the right thing. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? And he's able to do so much more because he has order in his life. And he's put the Levites and the priests do this. And these people do this. And these people do this. And I do this. And because he's got that order in his life, the whole temple... The whole building and rebuilding and repairing of this temple gets done at an amazing pace, actually. As you read through the chapter, it's quite incredible. And that's because I believe that he does it according to God's revealed will and he does not attempt to do everything himself. Um, yeah. <laughs> so... Um, he makes sure that the Levites consecrate themselves. Um, if you, if we read on in this chapter, which we will in a minute, he makes sure that they do what they're supposed to do. So he, he does take up the reins as the leader, as the king in this, in this instance, and he does make sure that the right people do the right things. And he does tell them that they have to consecrate themselves. Some of these priests and Levites... They were born into the particular tribe that had to do certain things, but they've never done them because Ahaz closed the doors of the temple. So some of them, for 16 years, were supposed to be priests and Levites doing what they were doing in the temple, but they couldn't go in because Ahaz had closed the door. So can you imagine? They were not consecrated. They weren't holy. They hadn't done what they were supposed to do. So that's a picture for us. You know, the, the body of Christ is filled with people who haven't been doing what they're supposed to do because somewhere someone has closed the door of the temple for them and they've not been able to serve because they've believed the lie that you've got no gifts and God's not going to use you and, and he doesn't need me and so-and-so's doing it and, and she's so you know wonderfully organised. So these lies have been built and built and built. So all of the priests of God, all of us who are a royal priesthood, very often not walking in the gifts, not using our gifts, not doing what we're supposed to do, not being a part of this consecration of the whole temple because we don't, we've, we've believed the lie that says we don't have to do it or we can't do it. So now, hearing this, now is the, what we are hoping is that every single individual believer will say, right, I am going to first consecrate myself to God. He is, he is sanctifying me, he's, he is saving me, he justified me, he's sanctifying me and he will glorify me. But I am to go along with that work. So I am going to lay aside the old me. And that's not necessarily all your sin, although of course it is. It's also all the temptation to do all the stuff apart from, I'm not really looking at you, apart from the things God's told us to do. To lay aside our fear, our anxiety, to lay aside all the stuff that, that of, of our human self and put on the new self. And that's what God's calling us always to do. That's our consecration, to lay aside the old man and, and put on the new. And to keep walking in the truth of that new man, that God has a purpose for my life. He has a plan for my life. He is an exceedingly abundant God. He is going to do more than I could ever ask or think, and he will do it through and in me. 
And all he's asking is for me to do what he has already told me to do. Spend time with him in his word. Trust him on all the issues of everyday life. And then come together in fellowship and share with one another. This is what God said to me this week. This is what he did last month. This is how our God is. Mm. It's just that I looked up a verse earlier on when you mentioned it. I looked it up again from Acts chapter 2. And the verse I looked at, this promise belongs to you and to your children yeah. and to all who are far off, mm. to all whom the Lord our God will call to himself, yeah. thinking of how the priests will call. So I just wanted to put that in context. I believe it's in context into everything you've just said. Um, so Peter says to repent each one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and your mm. children and for all you are afar of mm. as many as the Lord our God will call to himself and with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them saying be saved from this perverse generation so then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day were added about 3,000 souls, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Mm. Mm. So that's everything you've just said. Mm. It's mm. about separating yourself from mm. coming in answer to the call, receiving the promise, and uh, then mm. being in fellowship mm. together. Mm. And believing the promises for you. You know, it, that's such, such a hard thing to hold on to. Really believing that God really has called you and you are being called to do something specific and that he will use you and, uh, you know, and that you'll love it. <laughs> and it's what we're striving for in Desire and Truth, yes. this fellowship yes. together. And yes, that is the whole and the truth, to be set free by the truth, yeah. to be made free by the truth, which is what Jesus promised. So, um, let's go on a little bit. We'll read from verse 12 of 2 Chronicles 29 to verse 24. So, someone read t verse 12 to verse 24, 2 Chronicles 29. Then the Levites arose, Mahath, the son of Hamasah, and Joel, the son of Azariah, from the sons of the Kohathites, and from the sons of Merari, Kish, the son of Abdi, and Azariah, the son of Jehalalel, and from the Gershonites, Joah, the son of Zimah, and Eden, the son of Joah, and from the sons of Elizaphan, Shimri, and Yael, and from the sons of Asaph, and Zechariah, Zechariah, and Mataniah, and from the sons of Heman, Yehiel and Shimei, and from the sons of Jeduthun and Shemaiah and Uziel, they assembled their brothers, consecrated themselves, and went in to cleanse the house of the Lord according to the commandment of the king by the words of the Lord. So the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it, and every unclean thing which they found in the temple of the Lord they brought out to the court of the house of the Lord. Then the Levites received it to carry out, received it to carry out to the Kidron Valley. Now they began the consecration on the first day of the first month, and on the eighth day of the month they entered the porch of the Lord. Then they consecrated the house of the Lord in eight days, and finished on the sixteenth day of the first month. 
Then they went in to King Hezekiah and said, We have cleansed the whole house of the Lord, the altar of burnt offering with all of its utensils, and the table of showbread with all of its utensils. Moreover, all the utensils which King Hayaz had discarded during his reign in his unfaithfulness, we have prepared and consecrated, and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. To 24. Then King Hezekiah arose early and assembled the princes of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. They brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom, the sanctuary, and Judah. And he ordered the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they slaughtered the bulls, and the priests took the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. They also slaughtered the rams and sprinkled the blood on the altar. They slaughtered the lambs also and sprinkled the blood on the altar. Then they brought the male goats of the sin offering before the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. The priests slaughtered them and purged the altar with their blood to atone for all Israel, for the king ordered the burnt offering and the sin offering for all Israel. Thank you. Okay, so I want you to imagine, you know, these priests and the Levites, well, the priests have just consecrated themselves. They've done all that they were supposed to do to make themselves right, to enable them to go into the temple. And then they've gone into the temple and they've been faced with all sorts of despicable things. When we studied Ezekiel, do you remember when uh, Ezekiel was shown the state of the temple? <coughs> well, that's what it was like. There were all sorts of idols in there to other gods. There were all sorts of just horrible stuff. And so you can imagine their emotion walking in, can't you? You can imagine what they felt like. And that's sometimes like us when we look at our own lives and we see all the stuff in there, all the horrid stuff that's still there. And it's almost like you, you can sort of imagine these priests getting into the temple and thinking, well, we can't clear this out, surely. There's got to be some new place we've got to go to because this is so, so defiled, mm -hmm. you know. But what they knew was that what God has consecrated and called holy is holy. So whatever you see in yourself when you spend more time with the Lord, when you're reading, when you're praying, when you're fellowshipping, whatever you see inside that you don't like, that you should have been rid of before now, or whatever it is that you've, you've, you feel like, I'm never going to get rid of this, what, what we have to do is trust that God who calls us enables us that those Levites and priests, they walked into that temple, they picked up all that defiled stuff and they took it out to the Kidron uh, Valley and they just dumped it there. That's what we can do with all our fear and anxiety and all the stuff of our life and everything else, all that despicable stuff that we don't want inside because <coughs> it takes us away from God and it, it contaminates our worship. God is saying just pick it up and dump it outside find yourself a valley and dump it in the valley and that's where it will stay. And that's what they did. They did that. And it's just amazing to me that they actually didn't turn around and run out and say, it's so bad, we can't do anything with this. But they didn't. They made it right. It took them time. It took eight days to cleanse the temple and then another, whatever it is, seven days, 16 days, they were ready. But they, they purified that temple. It is possible to purify you, yourself. You can be purified in a real literal sense. I don't mean, of course, we are already a new creation in Christ Jesus. So we are, in God's eyes, already holy. We are already what we will be 
for eternity. But in the daily walking that out in our lives, it is possible for you to cleanse out all the stuff that's there. Obviously, the Lord's going to do it with you. It's not totally you, but, but for you to identify it and say, I'm going to take this out. This is going. And for us, it's a done deed because here they had to kill the animals and put the blood on the altar. But for us, Christ has already done that. Yeah, I'm not actually talking about that just yet, Rosie. I'm going to, but not just yet because what they've seen is all the stuff that's still there in their temple and they want to get rid of it. So I'm likening that to the stuff that we carry around with us. Even though we are atoned for, even though the blood has been shed for us, even though Christ has died, we are already children of God. We still have a lot of stuff. And, and it was despicable to these. That's the thing that really caught me. It was horrible to them, defiled. Because I heard this in this was that when he laid on his uh, on the side? There was a prophet who laid on his side. That was Jeremiah. No. Um, and he looked through and he saw all these idols in the holy place. Ezekiel. T- God took him into the temple, actually, oh, in Jerusalem, and he saw with his own eyes all the things that they'd been doing in the temple. And and there was the idol of jealousy at the north gate, and all of that. He yeah, had that I picture. Wasn't sure that yeah. Was yeah. <laughs> yeah. But probably they all saw it. Yeah, maybe he did. For yeah. Somebody had to make a hole, and then they looked through this hole in, in, uh, in the wall of the temple, and they just saw things. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it was Ezekiel, and I don't remember. I just wondered if that's. Yeah. So, um, so, <coughs> don't be afraid of what you might see when you start to spend time with the Lord, and when you see it, know that He's shown it to you, so that you can just mm-hmm. dump it outside, and and it will be gone. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and and can you see what they they reminded Hezekiah? It was your father who did this. Mm-hmm. You know, we've cleansed everything that he brought in. We've taken it all out. Um, and um, so, why do you think that's there? They said to Hezekiah, "It was your father Ahaz who did this." Why do you think that's there? It doesn't have to be there. We know it was Ahaz who brought it in and kings before him, probably. Why do you think it's there when they said, look, um, moreover, all the utensils which King Ahaz had discarded during his reign and his unfaithfulness, we have prepared and consecrated, and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. I mean, they don't have to say that. They could just say, we've consecrated and prepared all the utensils. Don't you think it's a little bit about, it's like a confirmation that you are not like your father. You are not him. You are Hezekiah. You are a new person. You are the person who is cleansing the temple. You are a different king. And I really think that's important for us to remember because when we see this stuff in our lives, and some of it has come through from our family, we, we do have things that come from our parents and our uh, grandparents and family traits that are not good. It's really good to be reminded that that's, we've broken, God has, Christ has broken those chains. We have been set free. And that's what I think they do with Hezekiah. They remind him of all that he had left behind because Hezekiah had deliberately turned his back on his father. See, that's another thing, isn't it? He had deliberately broken with his past. He said, I'm not going the way of my father. I'm going the way of my great-great-great-grandfather, David. He had chosen who he would follow. That's for us too. We have to choose who we will follow. And he had deliberately done it. I mean, that, this, this took a choice when he came into to the uh, throne of Israel. He had to do it on the throne of Judah. 
And it was a deliberate stepping into what God had laid down. And that's really, I suppose, you know, that's, that's I think, what God is calling us to, is a deliberate stepping into what he's already told us to do. You know, this, this, what has he called me to? What has he told me he will do? What has he told me he wants me to do, us to do? And us to deliberately choose to step into that. And I think that's what Hezekiah did. So I, I suppose the question is, are you willing to leave everything else behind? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. are you willing to leave it all behind? And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's important not to think for ourselves. Yes. This is what the Lord Oh, will be definitely. Doing. Yeah. That's what he'll be wanting me because yeah. I found yeah. that you know I've done that myself and yeah. then chosen something completely different. Exactly. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, oh well, so there's still that after this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's just yeah. leave it to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's why I'm saying what God, what has God d- definitely called you to? He's definitely called you to read His Word, yeah. to know Him through his word and he's definitely called you to pray and he's definitely called you to fellowship and he's definitely called you called you to praise him in with music or in words whatever he's definitely called you to these things so you cut you know if you do those things he will I believe unveil the next step and for us individually what what individually we are to do but they're the base they're the foundation I've got a reference here from Paul in uh, Philippians. He, he deliberately took stock of his life and laid aside certain things. You know this, so I won't go over it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 14. He deliberate, Paul deliberately looked at his life, his past, present, and his future life, and he decided that none of that mattered. He was laying aside all of that to follow Jesus. Hezekiah, uh, Philippians 3, 7 to 14. And that's what Hezekiah did. He laid aside his past and his father's, what his father had done and his family ties and everything else and he decided to follow God. And uh, 2 Chronicles 29 talks about um, um, certain things that happens. It talks about uh, washing, it talks about praying, it talks about singing and it talks about cleaning. The whole chapter... In, in the homework that was online, I said to you to read Second Chronicles 29. Those four things are what happens. The Levites have to do it. The people have to do it. There is this uh, washing, praying, singing, and cleaning. Now think about that. Think about what I've just said to you about the basic building blocks of our Christian life. How does washing and praying and singing and cleaning come in? What's the washing that we would liken that to? Cleansing, yeah, but... The washing of the word. So we need to be in the word because it washes us. It washes over us. That's what... um, I forget where it is now. Washing of the water of the word. It's in... um, hmm? Yes. It's New Testament, isn't it? Washing of the water of the word. Anyway, um, we need to be washed in the water of the word. We need to be praying. Ephesians 5.26, thank you. Uh, We need to be praying. 
Um, that's what they were doing in Second Chronicles 29. They were washing, they were praying, they were singing. We need to be praising God with the new song that he puts in our heart. You know, when you clear out the old stuff, he gives you a new song to sing, and it's full of joy. So you, you, we need to be singing, and then cleaning, cleaning the temple. We need to be persevering to keep going, to keep going, cleaning out all the stuff. Uh, all the stuff that the, the Lord shows us in ourselves and in the temple. 5, 26. <coughs> These are the steps to holiness. They're the steps to revival. They're the steps to hope. They're the steps to everything. These are the steps of the Christian faith and to genuine worship. You know, we say we want to worship God. This is genuine worship. Um, and... And really, we have to commit to it as a body. Um, individually, of course, but as a body, we have to com commit to this. And, and I just love, we're not going to read the, um, we're going to talk about it, we won't read all the way through, but Second Chronicles 29, verse 31. Um, uh, Hezekiah said, Now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. And those who were willing brought burnt offerings. There is always this um, uh, note in scripture of those who are willing, those who are willing. If you are willing to serve God and to do what he wants you to do, this is what your life will look like. These are the offerings that you bring into the temple. If you are willing, God won't force you to do it. Um, he called the people, Hezekiah called the people to their personal acts of worship and thanksgiving. Even though they'd already been a, a communal offering, he called them to their personal devotion. Now think about that in terms of Christ, as Rosie was saying about Christ is our atoning sacrifice. And he, we are now part of the body of Christ and Jesus has paid the price and, and our atonement is, is uh, done. But we must willingly come with our own offerings. And these are the offerings we bring. We bring our, uh, our time in reading the word. We bring our desire to hear from God. We bring our need to talk to God. We bring our um, decision to fellowship with God's people and to build up the body of Christ. And to persevere and to keep going, even though the times are hard and even though the things look difficult. Um, Hezekiah reinstates um, Yom Kippur. He reinstates the Day of Atonement, which hasn't been kept um, for a very long time, in all, certainly all of the, the reign of Ahaz. Um, but he doesn't... Can you see what he does? I mean, it's quite amazing, really, because if you can imagine the people... He's repairing the temple and reinstating all the temple worship, and he's doing all of that. Now, you would think, wouldn't you, that, they're gonna f that there's going to be a great celebration, that there's going to be this wonderful celebration, they're going to have a party because the temple's repaired and the gates are repaired and all the bad stuff's kicked out. But the first thing he does is to reinstitute the atonement, the, the sacrifice. And this idea that we've cleansed the temple and we will have a party, but we're not going to have the party before we remember that God has made this possible for us. So all of our celebrating, when we go along with this, when we do what we know to do, when we, 
when we clean out some of the stuff and we, all of it is against the backdrop of God made it possible for us to do this because he gave Christ Jesus. And that's what um, Hezekiah reinstitutes. He, he opens up the doorway of the temple and he, he, he institutes uh, the Day of Atonement, the single sacrifice for, to atone for their sins. Um, but he still encouraged people to come individually on the basis of that atoning sacrifice to present their own. And, and really, you know, there's a great lesson there, isn't there? And I, I, I you know, I don't want us to miss it because in our attempts to clean the, the, the church, in our attempts to uh, make right the body of Christ or to encourage people within the body of Christ to come to get to their fullness and to, you know, I think we have to remember Jesus in it all, that we're, we're only able to do this because he first did that. We only know what holiness is because he showed us holiness. We only can do any of the things. We're, the only reason we even know there's purpose for our life is because he gave us purpose. Do you see what I mean? So it's this recognition all the time that though I am free in Christ, though I am a child of God, though I am someone called and known and loved by God, I am only all of these things and we are only all of these things because Christ made it possible. And, and that's through his blood? Yes, through his blood. Yeah, yeah. It is amazing. We don't see the, the um, end results. You know, we often think about the cross, and, and, and yes, that's the thing and the reason why we were saved. It's actually the keeping power yes. all the way through to the end. Mm. And mm. the blood, and the blood, and yes, the blood. Yes, exactly. No. It's just so powerful. No. His death is so enormous. Mm. I think we exactly, we do. We mm. minimise it. It's, it's, yeah, we do. Um, Okay, so um, the number seven, of course, which we read about here, represents God's completion and um, through the act of atonement or this, that Hezekiah proclaims that God is completely restoring Judah. Um, uh, look at what he says in verse 24, which is really interesting and which we'll look at more next session. But he says, um, the priests slaughtered them and purged the altar with their blood to atone for all Israel. For the king ordered the burnt offering and the sin offering for all Israel. Hezekiah is the king of Judah. He is the king of Judah and the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin. There isn't an all Israel in his time. And so Hezekiah is, is looking forward and understanding the greatness of God who will bring back the tribes. He, he knows that that's, that will happen. And... Um, it's the foreshadowing of what he's hearing from Isaiah. He's hearing this from Isaiah, that there will be a restoration, there will be this, this highway of holiness and, and all the redeemed and the ransomed of the Lord will walk upon it. And, he's, and what he's doing is on the basis of that. And see what he says in this chapter? He says he's going to make a covenant. We read it, or Rosie read it. He will um, uh, make a covenant with God. Why does he need to make a covenant? Yes, exactly, to reaffirm. God has already made an eternal covenant with David and all the kings who come after him who are aligned with him. He's made an eternal covenant. But Hezekiah 
confirms that covenant by saying, I'm going to make a covenant. And that's true for us, individually. On the basis of his eternal covenant to which we belong, we make a covenant with God. We make a covenant with him. When we became Christians, that's what we did, although we didn't know it. We made a covenant with God. We said, I will be your people. I will be part of your people. I will be yours. And, um, and it didn't cost us anything, because it had already cost him. So it's, this, this idea of covenant is, my, I am now confirming that I understand the covenant that God made available to me by me making a covenant with him. And what's my covenant for? What, what am I covenanting to do or to be? Well, I'm, I'm covenant, I am covenanting, or what, oh, I don't think I've got that right. I am making a covenant with God that I will surrender to him. That I will surrender every part of my life, everything that he shows me that is still not surrendered. I have already covenanted with him to surrender. I have said, you are God, and I am not. I will follow you. Jesus is my saviour. I couldn't get to God except through Jesus. I will now surrender every part of my life, every part of who I am, because I believe that you will be better. You will be best. You will do what is best. You will um, bring about all and only good things. And that's what Hezekiah did. He laid down all his rights. You see it right from the beginning. He was king. He could have done anything. He could have left that temple. He could have gone into that temple. He could have done anything. But he did everything according to what he knew about God. And um, that's how we, we're supposed to be. So, what is God talking to you about? I mean, Sue is very brave and told us what God's talked to her about. What's he talking to you about? You know, what things are going on in your life that he's talking to you about? Or, and if you're going to say to me, God's not talking to me about anything, I'm going to say to you, then you're not listening. Really, you're not listening. You're not spending time with God. If he's not talking to you about anything, you're not spending time with him. He wants people to open their ears. And clean house, which we saw. Um, so... Um, do you want to see revival before Jesus returns? No. That's the question. Do you want to see revival before Jesus returns? Do you want to leave a legacy, a legacy of hope? Yeah. What, what's got to happen? You've got to live the life. You've got to walk the walk. You've got to fight the fight. You've got to run the course. Yeah. All those things that we read about in the New Testament, we have to do, and they begin with what you're doing, actually. Yeah. They begin with this, with reading the word and listening to God and, and not allowing it to be, a, you know, like, this is what I do on Tuesday mornings and then I don't do it for the rest of the week. But actually sitting with the Lord and, and praying about it. Okay. Any questions? Anything you saw that we haven't talked about? Anything? I really would urge you to look at the homework online. Um, it's not difficult. It's just... Oh! Okay, I'll have a look at it and I'll um, see I'll if I can print it out for you and send it to you. Mm, thank you. It should be under where it says uh, classes. If you go down to where it says classes, then it should say download this week's homework.
There's a little line underneath it. I'll show you. Yeah. Mm. <coughs> and it downloads in PDF form, so if you want to print it off, you can. Uh, next week isn't on. It'll be on today. I'll put it on today. Well, I'll send it to Josh. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for what we've talked about. Lord, it seems to have gone really fast this morning. I don't know if it has, but... Um, I praise you, Lord, and thank you. I ask you for all those people who are not here, Lord, that you would be um, speaking to them, bringing them back next week, maybe tonight, Lord God, and, and that you would really um, open our eyes to see what sort of a God you are and, and how magnificent you are and how wonderful you are and how gracious and how loving and all of that, Lord, that we would see you as you really are. And then... And then that we would be stopped in our tracks almost and all that we would want to do is sit and listen to you talk. So I pray, Father, that you would do that. Do that in me, do that in us. Lord God, that we might really, um, really hear what you have to say to us. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that we can actually um, do our part to build the temple of God in this place. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.